And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is episode number 578. I'm Ricky Gantz. This is Mike Miller. And again, we are G220 Radio. Uh, we got a pretty good uh, program for you tonight. We're going to be reviewing an article titled Toxic Traditions. And bum, so uh, bum, bum. looking forward to this one. I seen this, um, I think maybe it was three weeks ago or it's been within a month. I saw this, but we already had episodes planned. Uh, a friend mm -hmm. had, had shared it. And so I was reading it and I, I sent it to you, Mike, and said, hey, let's do a review on this. What do you think? And you're like, yeah, let's do it. So uh, that's what we're going to do here tonight. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to go through it to kind of go through points. I've got some points uh, that I put together and then go through it and then kind of give some of the maybe positives or negatives at the end of maybe what we could pull from the article, maybe in a positive way and maybe what we thought was negative from the article. And uh, so I'm kind of looking forward to to this one as well to kind of diving into it. Mike, um, how's things going on your end? And, and are you looking forward to this one too? Yeah, I think there's some good conversation pieces in here i think they may see issues that we should be thinking about um i don't always think they land at the right conclusions just i think and, and part of it and kind of not knowing a theological understanding um of what they're going at um it kind of makes it hard to what what is the the outcome desired outcome but i do think there's some really good things we need to think about and consider deeply and i and then come to hopefully a better response to the issues that they bring up yeah absolutely and so um we want to get into this uh it's it's not a very long article um, it's actually fairly short and I, and I will post the article article in the description of the video on YouTube and I'll post it underneath the video on Facebook for those listening that way. Um, but I didn't want to post it beforehand because I didn't want you to chop it all up and take the fun from us. If, if you are going to go ahead and, and, uh, write your own little reviews. So, um, but nonetheless, we'll post it there after, after the program, uh, so that you'll be able to to read the article in, it, in its entirety. Um, but again, it was very short. It's a short article. Uh, it's written by a Margaret Minix. And um, when I looked her up, uh, I even sent her a message uh, on Facebook there uh, to let her know, like, hey, are you the author of this? Uh, which I found out that it is the same individual and said we was going to be doing a review on this article. Um, but this is an older article. It's from a couple years ago, but it just kind of came across my eyesight, uh, like I said, within the last uh, month to three weeks, three weeks to a month or something like that. Um, but we're definitely going to get into that next week. Next week, we're going to be talking about boycotts. Mike, give us a little primer of some boycotts, man, and, and what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Next week. So I'm going to be boycotting next week. The show. <laughs> um, that's what this show is about. No, um, we're going to talk about should Christians boycott and think about it. Try to think about it. Um, and in just our own relevance, what does scripture have to say? What can we glean? Obviously, I think scripture, as far as I know, um, doesn't say thou shall not boycott or thou should boycott. Um, but just to think about what is boycotting? 
what's the purpose? How should we think about it as Christians, especially when you have companies virtue singling or whatever else things they want to do kind of to pander to the progressive movement, whether it's an abortion or the LGBT um, nonsense happening that um, how should we as Christians think about these things? What scripture comes a lot to it? Um, it's a complex um, idea to think about where Christians are going to be, have different opinions. So hopefully we can have at least state on our side of what we believe and state it clearly um, so that we can get kind of discussions. And I'm, as far as I know, no one has really talked about it. There's been like, we should boycott, but not really kind of how, how do we think about whether we should or should not boycott, which is what I think we should, or what we're going to be trying to do um, next week. Yeah. And, and usually if, if, if there are um, conservatives that are speaking about boycotting, uh, you know, companies or whatnot, they're usually not Christian. So you, if they are speaking about it, we're, we're trying to, to talk about that as well as everything we everything else we discuss here on G220 Radio. We try to do it from a biblical perspective, biblical yeah. perspective, which means utilizing scriptures to the best of our ability. We don't want to pull things out of context to try to make it fit something, but we want to look at scriptures as a whole and say, how should we as Christian Christians live in light of what is going on in society around us and what other companies may do with their company. Um, and it may go against uh, some of the biblical principles that we have. So what, what do we do? And so we want to, we want to look at that. Um, and, and I said that with some emphasis on biblical because I, I want to get into this, this article as well. And so again, the, the title of this article was toxic traditions. And it says uh, these traditions are making the church sick. And so that's why we titled it, Are These Traditions Making the Church Sick? Sick? And I've got, let me see here, I've got uh, eight points, and then uh, point nine was a takeaways from this, this article. Um, and I'm just going to kind of, th these are basically the way it's laid out in the, the, the article. So nothing, nothing to shock you with, Mike, there, but eight points. The first one is uh, in dealing with traditions. And so my first point is um, that this author of this article makes the uh, a point that Jesus preached against traditions. And so I'm going to read this section and, and then we're going to get in and talk about it. <clears throat> so again, this is by Margaret Minix. And this first section is says, Jesus preached against traditional things uh, when he walked the face, face of the earth. Those teachings are still prominent today. However, they are being overlooked and traditional things are toxic and killing the modern day church. Some of the very religious traditions held by the leaders during Jesus's day were actually keeping people away from God instead of drawing them closer to God. Uh, the same thing is happening to churches today that are steeped in traditions. Well-intentioned traditions have tur turned toxic, and they do more harm than good. Habits become traditions because they are valued and cherished by those who have gotten accustomed to them. People find it very difficult to abandon and replace them even after they discover they are harmful. Uh, and then it goes into, and we'll get into some of this, but it'll say here are some of these, these harmful traditions. Um, 
And so just kind of going off that first point here, this idea that Jesus preached against traditions. And the one thing I'm going to say here, and it was also something in my takeaway, so I'm kind of giving it away, is one of my negatives. In this article, you're not going to hear a lot of scripture. I believe there's only like one passage or one scriptural reference in this entire article. And I, I found that as a negative. I mean, if you're proving this point, you're making a case, then give me something biblically to look at. That's why I said biblical, uh, and I emphasized that um, prior to, to jumping into this, because give me something that I can associate this your, your conclusions with. And this idea that th what comes to mind is I've heard this from others as well. I've heard this from anti-Calvinists. I've heard this from others who... Uh, are against, um, well, mainly Reformed theology, but they'll say, you are teaching the traditions of men. And they'll quote uh -huh. Matthew 15, 9, where it says, in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines, uh, or teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Or Mark 7, 13, where it says, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down uh, and many such things you do. So these are the, the, the scriptures that come to my mind as to thinking, okay, is this possibly what this individual is referring to? But there was no scriptural basis for anything in this first um, getting this article set off. I think there's a point in which we have to consider what did Jesus actually preach against mm -hmm. and what did he preach for? So they kind of use tradition broadly. And so it almost makes it sounds like, and I don't know if this is the author's intention or not, but like this idea of like all of these, all, like all traditions are bad. Are, like are the religious traditions of Yom Kippur bad? That's explicitly stated to be done in a certain way in the Bible, the day, you know, the day of atonement or mm. the Passover. And if if that's included in the lot, well, the author is mistaken because Jesus upheld the law. Mm -hmm. He he upheld the right understanding of the law. What Jesus preached against was the Pharisee, the Pharisees adding to the law in order so they don't break the law and then act it act as it is the law. Mm -hmm. And that's something different. Right. And I think when, when you kind of see some of the um, these issues, at least what I've noticed, is that that distinction isn't made throughout the article. Um, we'll, we'll see it kind of right away in the first one. And so we do have to understand what was Jesus teaching? Jesus taught the law he taught mm -hmm. people to obey the law so yes in, in one sense jesus did away with the traditions of the pharisees but at the same time he made the law or he explicitly exposed the mean the meaning of the law that was kind of hidden or had to be developed from the old testament you think about his Sermon on the Mount and the whole, I tell you this, or you've heard of this, but I tell you this. Mm -hmm. And 
all he's doing is he's going over the Ten Commandments, but he's but he's showing the original intent, which isn't hidden in one right. sense. This is not there. You have to kind of place them together. He just makes that he makes that connection for us, and so you know these well-meaning traditions or something like that. That's a little dicey when you start talking about Jesus because he does uphold traditions mm -hmm. and, and what other traditions, you know, is this author going to be thrown away? Like, should we not be going to church? Should we not be doing the sacraments or the ordinances? You know, what, what else in there that is necessarily commanded to do? Are these now just these toxic traditions um, that we must rid ourselves because it's making the church sick? Yeah. Now <clears throat> we're going to get into some of these examples because they do give examples mm -hmm. um, and they're going to be my points as we go through this. But just this idea of tradition, I think often when, when we're not clear on what we mean by traditions, because I, I hear it like you go through Christmas season, Easter season, which, you know, where they'll say, hey, you know, this is the tradition of men. They've instituted this Easter uh -huh. and, and, and bunnies and, and Easter baskets and, and all these things and egg hunts. That's traditions of men. God didn't celebrate those things. Um, it's a it's a it's a pagan holiday. It's not a, a holiday instituted by God. But we also know that Pur Purim. Am I saying that right? Purim Purim. Yeah, was not a a a, a, um, a, a ceremony given by God to the people, mm -hmm. but it was a festivity or a festival that they celebrated because of what happened in um, the book of Esther. Esther, yep. and so this and and there's there's people that would argue Jesus celebrated it um, because there's this mention, and I, I wrote it down here, but there's this mention in. Um, John five, where it says the Lord Jesus is up in Jerusalem and it says for an unnamed feast. And there's scholars that have done the research and they looked and said that it, this feast fell on a Sabbath. And from AD 25 to AD 35, the only um, feast that would have fell on a Sabbath in between that time period, when this would have supposedly happened was the feast of Purim. Purim. So it could be, maybe it isn't, maybe it is, but the, the thing is, it wasn't spoken against, and this was a tradition that the Jews would have practiced. They would have celebrated this in, in a remembrance of this, you know, life-saving of the Jewish people uh, under, you know, in, in during that reign um, through Esther, which such was a time of this for this very purpose. So so yeah. it is important that we look at this and we, we make these distinctions. What do you mean by traditions? Because it comes off as if, as if all traditions are just bad. And it's going to give some examples, but it makes it seem like it puts traditions against God and his word. But again, as we're talking about Purim, uh, we're talking about uh, other things and customs. And, and also, Mike, what you were saying, which comes to my mind right now, is during the time of coming up to Christ, there were schools of rabbis who began to be influential. Yep. We talked about it on our show when we talked about marriage. Uh -huh. And how there was some who would say when we talked about divorce, you know, divorce and remarriage, there was some who who was a school that said you could divorce your wife. And you mentioned this for burning toast. Like yep. it was that it was that easy to divorce your wife. And then there was other schools that was like, you can't divorce your wife for nothing. So so in that Christ comes and corrects the traditions of men, their misunderstanding of the law. And what does he usually say? Have you not read the scripture? 
Yeah. And then he clarifies what their misunderstanding. And then he had said about, except for the grounds of sexual immorality. Uh, and then Paul comes along and says, and also throws in their uh, abandonment. Right. And so uh, there are those things where you have to let the scripture speak for itself. Uh, and, and I think it would have done better within this if there would have been scripture support for the position as with maybe some more examples to define, you know, um, what is really meant by this? Because if you choose to celebrate Easter or Christmas, uh, are those traditions of men that, that God hates? Well, I would say no. Um, and then we'd have to dig into some of those things. But for some people, that might be a conscience issue. But if it's a conscience issue for you, and it's more of a preference for your con conscience, is it legally binding then to put it on other people? Because that's what the Pharisees yeah. were doing. Those were the traditions. That's what they that, were. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I think it's just, I think even going through this article helped us to think about what are traditions that are not like kind of making those distinctions between this is kind of a family tradition that we do mm -hmm. in order, you know, as a family, you know, how we treat Halloween or Christmas or Easter and birthdays and whatnot versus this is mandatory. This is required for godliness, this kind of legalistic aspect. And I think and these are where those lines need to be thought about and to, to consider, again, what does the Bible say about these things? It's not, you know, traditions happen. We, we talked about this when you think about the church and like what's required to be, what's, what's a required Sabbath worship. And what's not required, you know, and the, the chain and the freedom we have between what is required and not required, um, when it comes to, to worshiping God, I think, mm -hmm. and these are, again, you know, we should think about these things. We should think about, are these traditions harming the church? Cause it's changing our focus. And so um, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of things to think about within our traditions to make sure that they are valid traditions, especially when we consider worship in the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so along this with, with using and looking and trying to see what the Bible says about traditions, I'll throw out some scriptures, Mike, I'll let you speak on them and then we'll, we'll move on to point two. But when you look at Galatians one, four, Paul mentions that he was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. Right. But then when you look at, um, and he was so zealous to the point where he was willing to persecute the church because of what, what? they were believing. But then you look at, um, uh, first Corinthians 11, Verse two, it says, now I commend you. He's writing to the church in Corinth. He says, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintained the traditions, even as I have delivered them to you. So there's traditions that Paul is delivering to the church in Corinth and they're maintaining it. Colossians 2.8, Paul again says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition. So again, we're, we're looking, we, we talked about Pharisees, you know, and them adding things or having these different schools, bringing things in or, or getting legalistic. 
right? He says, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So, you know, we want to make sure that the things we do and the traditions we do don't cause us to stumble into sin or to cause us to um, leave these elemental spirits or leave these principal things for these elemental spirits of the world, right? Um, in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, it, it mentions about traditions again. It says, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by the letter. So again, either by the scriptures, the letters that are being brought forth, or by spoken word in meeting with them. 2 Thessalonians 3.6, now we commend or we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. So there's some scripture that speaks about uh, tradition, some warning us of these human traditions that would, again, cause us to stumble or to pull us away from, from the truth that is in God's word or, or from Christ and, and honoring him. And then to take the traditions that were passed down, handed down, either written or even verbally and practice, which you mentioned one already when we talk about the ordinances within the church, baptism in the Lord's Supper. These are traditions that have been given to us, and we keep those, those traditions. Now, somebody could argue and say, well, those, those are given in Scripture. But again, these are there still doesn't mean traditions is bad or good. It's the type of tradition, and we should examine it. Yeah, and even if you talk about it, I mean, Paul really doesn't give much, at least in the immediate context, about what these traditions are. But we can assume that these traditions are... Um, based on the biblical teaching. Um, if you look up, so I just looked up Second Thessalonians three sixteen, the Greek word there. Um, and kind of in this context, as you talk about the the lexicon that I use says the content of of instruction that has been handed down, a tradition of teaching or commandments or narratives. So there's there's this teaching that is been coming down you see this even in early church writings too where the tradition of the apostles were first told then written down and then you have this idea of um where it explicitly says matthew wrote it down for the hebrews and, and mark wrote his based you know on um Peter's testimony and Luke with Paul, and you get these ideas of that the biblical authors went around talking about these things, and then it came a time in which they needed to be written down, and they were. And these are kind of the traditions that we need. They're the, the traditions of the teaching of the church. There's a reason why we hold to the Trinitarian understanding of God. That's in one sense, a tradition. It is a teaching that has been passed down. How we do church is a tradition that has been passed down. Not there's freedoms in that and how we do church, but those nonetheless, there's a tradition in which comes down some more formal in that tradition, the Catholic church, the Anglican church, the Orthodox church, some less folder, less formal, the Baptist, the free church movement. But nonetheless, there's this tradition that is that is passed down from from generation to generation. We have to accept that. And the question is, um, is the tradition biblical? Is it 
the teaching has been passed down by the apostles and grown upon as the church has thought about these things, or are these truly traditions that are not biblical? And I mean, there are traditions that are not biblical that the American church does, and mm -hmm. we need to get rid of them. They are toxic. And you, so we're not like against thinking through these things we just don't take everything. But like you said, there is a, a biblical tradition that Paul had that he gave to these people. And he's telling them to be, he's reminding them of this tradition. And this tradition is foundational and it's the gospel and what proceeds from it. And that's right. really the, the understanding when we think about tradition, mm -hmm. tradition is good when it's right. Yes. It's when tr tradition goes, when tradition brings about the wrong ends, that's when it becomes toxic. I think, and that's how kind of when we think about this article to really, really consider, are these the things that have been passed down? And are, and are they right? Or are they inventions? You know, are they inventions of our own minds and not necessarily have the biblical thing, but yet we can do things that may be tradition, but it's that kind of that crossing that line, like the Pharisees, these are mandated kind of in a salvific way. Yeah. And I think we'll, 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 break through some of this too in these next two points. But uh, next, next point is seeing the church as an obligation. And so the article says, uh, when people hear the word church, and has it in quotation marks, more than likely they will think of a building. Oh, no, wait, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Excuse me. Yeah. So see church as an obligation. Some people say they go to church out of obligation. Uh, they do it even if they get nothing out of it or out of the visit. They go out of habit because their mothers made them go when they were younger. Uh, now that they are older, uh, they can still hear their mother's voice in their head. They get up on a Sunday morning and ponder whether they should go to church or not. They give in and go because of tradition, just to say they went. Uh, they go expecting nothing, and they never disappointed. And they're never disappointed because they get nothing out of the service, church service, because their hearts are not open to receive anything. So, a couple things there is is like in my notes, I put yeah, some do, some do go to church out of obligation or because their parents have taught them that growing up. Um, but I think it also comes down to a theological understanding there because that last point is uh, because their hearts are not open to receive anything. Well, mm -hmm. the scriptures say the spirit moves as the spirit moves and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so, and I, I agree, there are many people in churches, even in my small church, there are people there that are not believers, Right. But they come every week, and we're glad that they come. They're not members of the church, but they come, and they hear the preaching every week. Now, they may go, somebody may go 20 years coming and sitting inside of a church and hear the word preached and never get saved and die and go to hell. But as long as they're coming, you never know what God may do in their heart. God may open their heart. It's not that they open their heart to it. Is God going to open their heart to it? You know, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I think there's. So the question is kind of thinking about is. Again, thinking through just their example. 
I mean, part of me is like, why, why are you still doing it? Like there's, there's an essence, you know, they hear the mother voice in their head, almost as if they're doing it to please someone else. Their motives are wrong. Mm -hmm. And so should we see church as an obligation? I mean, no, in one sense. Like if it's just something I do, it's a check mark um, on my to-do list. That's that's the wrong motivation to see church. I mean, we consider the confession and and thinking through this. Um, the second London says, as all believers are bound to join themselves to a particular church, when and where they have the opportunity, so to do. The we are called to gather together. Mm -hmm. There are commands of the Bible that can only be done in the confounds of a church. And now we're going to talk about the church as a building in a little bit. Um, but even so, there is an important aspect that happens at church. We've talked about the importance of preaching. We've talked about the importance of church. The Baptist Catechism talks about how the word is most effectual in the preaching of the word. And it talks about why this is so important and that it is the means of convincing and converting sinners, building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. The church is important. The church is ordained by God to be where we come together. So is church an obligation? In one sense, no. But if you're not going to church or desire to go to church, kind of the example they have there, there's something wrong with your Christian faith because the church is how God grows us. It's the community in which binds us together so that we are stronger and be able to face this world. And I mean, there, there's so much more to, to think about in this area, but yeah, just that, that, that wrong motive to, I just got to get up. My mom's voice is in the back of my head. You know, obviously your desire hasn't changed. Cause I do think mm. in, in one sense, as Christians, we desire to gather together to worship the Lord. If that's right. not your desired, in one sense, part of me is like, just don't go. Why Why do that? And another part of me is like, well, hopefully the Spirit will convict you in the preaching because that's how it happens. Um, but yeah, those types of people who go out of obligation, they go out of habit because that's what they always did. Um I think you see that a lot in like the nothing. Roman Catholic church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they get what they, they get, but if you come to worship servicing, expecting to encounter the living God through the preaching of his word, your, your heart attitude's different. The, the, the worship songs that we sing are different. I so this kind of toxic tradition is really a, 
reflection of the person who's going to church and less the reflection of the of the church yeah, and the people, the, the genuine believers yeah. of going to church. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. That's a great point, Mike. I, I mean, when you think about it, um, they're putting the emphasis on the one who is most likely the unbeliever and calling this a toxic yeah. church practice. Um, it's not, it's not the church that's toxic here. Um, but even when you look at the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew uh, 13, um, where it talks about like there, the, 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 Satan comes in and sows this seed or the enemy comes in and sows this seed and it grows up alongside of the wheat. Um, they said, should we go and gather it? And he says, no, because you might rip up the, the, the wheat along with trying to pull out the tares. So again, in my, like what I try to do when there's individuals that I don't believe are Christians, I'm not seeking to go and try to beat them up every week because I'm coming to worship the Lord. I'm coming to, to gather with the saints. But if a conversation comes up, I'm going to point them to the scripture, point them to the truth. You know, if we get into a conversation yeah. where I can I can call them to repentance, if, if it's clear that they're an unbeliever, you know, um, but at the same time, um, I'm also trusting that God's sovereign over salvation and they're coming. So if they keep coming week after week. Now, I, I mentioned this uh, in our Bible study last week at our church. I said because we were talking about uh, we were in first John and I said unbelievers shouldn't feel comfortable in church. So they shouldn't. You will have some, because even in good churches, you're going to have some unbelievers that are that are present. Yeah. But those that are in outright living in outright sin, they shouldn't feel comfortable in church. Yeah. That preaching should be, and it's even like we went to the the Cleveland Pride the a uh, couple days ago, right? Just being there, our presence, just having scripture references on our signs, made people feel uncomfortable that they had to shout things at us and say things without even like us going up to them to engage them because it pricks the heart. Some mm -hmm. in a gnashing kind of teeth way, like we see in, in acts uh, with Stephen, they didn't like the word. So they, they, they gnashed their teeth at him receiving it. And then some like we see in acts two, when the gospels preached, they're cut to the heart differently, yeah. different kind. And so you, you just trust that God's going to do what he's going to do. Uh, with those individuals. So our next point here is um, the one I tried to jump to. Um, Cause this one's always fun. Uh, seeing the church as a building, seeing the church as a building. Um, it says when some people hear the word church again in quotations, more than likely they will think of a building and its location. Now, that's one of the most common traditions when the church is perceived only as a building and not the people in the building. It's a, it's a toxic tradition when people pay more attention to the carpet on the floor than to the people's souls. Since people think of the church only as a building, they might be tempted to act holy, to act holy only when they are in the building. Uh, as soon as the service is over, uh, they return to their evil ways in the parking lot. If the tradition is put outside or put aside, um, and then and the church is understood as, as its people, uh, then people will treat others with respect even when they are not in the building. It kind of goes back to the point you was making then at the end. There, this emphasis, it's not on the fact that the church is toxic. This is something that's toxic from the okay. church. It's toxic from somebody's understanding, which may need to be corrected. Um, you know, but even when you, when you think of this, you think of what does it mean, church? It's this word where we get ecclesia, or uh, um, the ecclesia, which is this Greek word, which is defined as the called out assembly or congregation, right? This okay. is where we get from this Greek word. This is where we get the word where we say, uh, ecclesia, and we use ecclesiastical, how we get then the, uh, how the church is set up, uh, which we talked about. 
And Mike, one of the things too, when we talked about traditions, now when they first came together as the church, they were meeting in homes. They were meeting where they could. Um, they were going yep. into the synagogues to to bring people to the truth, to preach Christ. But as the church grew, I mean, they were meeting in the room. Of, what was it? They were in the upper room with 120 on the day of Pentecost. So they were meet, yeah. they were gathered in a building. But we see the church as it grows, that then we start to take on this tradition of, of a building. Which again, I don't see that as a bad tradition. And I think that's where it comes down to, while it may be a tradition that is, is as the church grew, then we start to see these buildings come in. But I don't, I don't think I know any... I don't think I know any genuine believers who think the building is the church, but it is a place where the church gathers and it's okay and fine to have a place where the church can go and gather on a regular basis to me. Yeah. I think when I think about this, um, you know how people say there's hypocrites in the church. That's my first thought when reading this section. Um, the you know, especially when you get to the end if you know the church is understood to be a, as as people people will will respect even when they're not in the church um as christians we're called to live a holy life mm -hmm. the whole time the, the the understanding of a church whether it's a people or a building at that point doesn't matter right. as a christian we're to make our light shine we're a city on a hill and or yeah, city on the hill. And to think about what that means. Yes. We are a people, but it, it's also okay to call the building, the church, because that's where the people meet. Mm -hmm. That's where these, this congregation meet. And so it's a church building because that's where the church is. Um, you know, does churches get sidetracked by the carpet on the floor? Yes, they do. Is that always wrong? No. Sometimes the carpet needs to be replaced and it needs to be done. Should a church split over the color of a carpet? No, we should love each other enough to not have petty things like that happen. But in the end, I just I think it, it shows not necessarily that that distinction is wrong. It's that it's the people in it that they have a mm -hmm. wrong idea, that they're being selfish, they're acting sinfully. And that's the problem. It's it's not this distinction between the church. Because as a Christian, I treat everyone the same because they're made in the image of God, whether they're a believer or not. And that's how it should be. That's how everyone should act, though it's clear that those who are non-believers only love those who love them, and they hate yeah. those who hate them mm -hmm. or get in their way or whatever that may be. And so, again, th there's something deeper here in this that needs to be addressed. It's not necessarily thinking about a building as a church, because in one sense it is. Um, but it's, are we humble enough to love our neighbors as ourselves? Well, we only do that when Christ has changed our hearts and mm -hmm. we put Christ first instead of us. 
Yeah. And I think too, when we look at back at church history, Mike, and you probably will know uh, this a little more than I would, but uh, from my understanding of listening through church history, uh, through Reformed Theological Seminary and whatnot, the idea of, I mean, we, we, we give a lot of uh, pushback against Roman Catholic theology, but in their building of their church buildings, they're looking to, um, they're looking at the, the kingdom of God on earth. And so yeah. therefore let's build and prepare for this. Um, yeah. where we are, we're having a place where people can all come together to worship the Lord. Right. And so the building of a lot of these old structures that we see, they're just marvelous, marvelously put together. Uh, again, we can talk about the statues and all those things, right? And and we have in previous programs, but they were putting these things together again because they're making this like because you consider the temple that was designed in the Old Te- Testament the way that it was to be structured and laid out. It was detailed. Now God's not calling us to make a, a structure like that in the New Testament, but they were were building it with intention in mind. Um, to build these things. And so um, I think when we look at that, again, it's tradition, yes, but they were building towards, because they, you know, millennial, Augustine, it, we're already in the kingdom, let's make this kingdom, right? Let's not, not it's God's bringing this kingdom, but let's let's build for what we actually believe, according to what we believe. And so whether it's those big cathedrals, big buildings like that, or you meet in a storefront, uh, because that's where your church plant is is meeting. Um, again, it's not necessarily the building, but the building is a place where we come and gather together. And it's not wrong to have that as the church where it's gathered, uh, because then you, you have this place where people know on a regular basis and frequently you're going to meet, you're going to gather there. When you come together, it's not, I don't know where we're meeting this week. And it does happen in the underground churches, you know, overseas where they're persecuted. They may have to shift where they're meeting. But I think there's there's room for that throughout the body of Christ, where whatever region you're in, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you think about the old cathedrals. They're built to invoke a certain type of emotion mm-hmm. when you walk in, mainly the transcendence of God. I mean, the the main area is four, three, four, five stories tall. And the echo and the the ornate thing was to to bring about emo- certain emotions when you walk in there, especially kind of on the reverence in that you're coming to worship God. And I think, you know, while we don't have to build buildings like that, there is no specification in the New Testament that your building is to look a certain way, have this certain design. Um, But when the medievals were thinking about these things, they thought about it in that way. If you look at old cathedrals on Google Earth from the sky, they all have the same shape. They have the shape of a cross. That was intentional. Mm -hmm. That was on purpose. It was to reflect and to think about the crucifixion and the salvation that is was accomplished and then applied in time to us and to really like dive into the architecture of that there is 
a beauty in that transcendence that evokes a reverence for God. Now it can get taken too far. Right. And we can't have that strictly be the reason and emotion that we feel when we go there. But that's what the, you got to see. And I think that's um, obviously not captured in many modern churches today. Um, not, not that that is needed. But again, it's still the um, churches. Um, Obligation. Sorry, that contract comment through you. Comment through me off. Sorry, but they, there's an mm. obligation. You know, the obligation of worship um, doesn't include a building. It allows for freedom for what we need it to be, mm -hmm. um, and we should just see that. And yes, um, you know, people paying more attention to the carpet. Or, I mean, let's say it. That's just wrong unless you're paying attention because it needs to be replaced and you know, the church is on it, but, um, well, that's why I think as, as yeah. elders within a church, <clears throat> excuse me, pastors, preachers in the church, you want to build your people up to understand things so that when those decisions come, come across, you know, your uh, decision making as a church body, you're making the right decisions with the right motives and intentions, not, for your own selfish gain. The Bible clearly yeah. speaks of us putting our putting others above ourselves. So if we're all seeking to try to do that as Christians, then that should not be an issue that happens. It does happen, and as you've already mentioned it earlier, it's because of these are selfish individuals. I want the carpet like this because maybe I give this much money or because I serve this much in the church. I do this. My family have been members of the church for this long, and so therefore I want these things to be this way. That's not the Christian attitude. So... <clears throat> So those are things that need to be taken into, into consideration. It's not the church practice or tradition there that is toxic. Um, another thing I was going to throw out there, um, I think we mentioned it one on a show before, Mike. We might have talked about it. Even with the churches, outside of churches, you have cemeteries you know, that they would have where they would bury their dead. And they would yeah. bury them in a certain position, a certain facing uh -huh. a certain way, because it was intentional. Um, we won't yeah. get into it, but they had intention behind what they were doing. Because there oh, was this yeah. reverence for God. Go ahead, Mike, real quick, and then we'll, if you want to yeah. say something. I just think, I mean, that's just a critique on us. We're just not intentional with things. Right. So I think we, we need more intentionality when we look at buildings. Yeah. All right, number four, point four. And we'll try to move a little bit along here because, man, we've already 50 minutes into the program. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we're only on four points, and I've got like four more to go. All right, so uh, focusing on the outward instead of the inward. Says today, many Christian or many churches intentionally dress casually. Some older people frown against the practice because it has always been a tradition for them to dress up to go to church. It was only uh, it was only it was one of the only places they could go after working or staying home all week. Therefore, it was a treat for them to put on their Sunday best and go to church. Sometimes people dress up and act like Christians when they are inside the build, church building, but they are they are mean and hypocritical. Uh, the rest of the week. They should realize that God looks at the heart instead of their own outward appearance. And yes, God does look at the heart. God looks at the heart. He doesn't judge the... God knows the heart. Um, we don't know the motives and intentions of people. So therefore, when we look at this, I think it's important that we, we evaluate. And what we've been talking about, I think through this whole thing, it seems like it's a pattern that keeps coming up. This isn't necessarily traditions of the church that are toxic. These are dealing with people who are um, not living the Christian faith out. 
because again, um, what, what does the Bible tell us when we look at this? When you look at James 2, 1 through 6, where it talks about the sin of partiality. It talks about, you know, some poor person comes in and you say, ah, oh, comes here, sit at my feet or sit here in the back. I mean, but then this rich person comes in and you bring them up and give them a good seat in the church. This, this partiality. Uh, I don't think we're, we're seeking to uh, judge someone based upon appearance because the Bible tells us not to do that. But I also don't think it's wrong if someone dresses up to go to church. Uh, we dress up to go to weddings. We dress up to go to other engagements. You know, if, if you were invited to go to the White House, you would dress up, right? Um, and a lot of places will tell you you need to do so. You know, it's a black tie event or whatnot. But just out of reverence, when you go to a wedding, you're just not going in shorts and a T-shirt, right? You're going to put something on. So I don't think it's it's makes you more holy if you wear a suit and tie to church. But if someone does that, it's kind of hard for you to judge the motives and intentions in their heart because of why they're doing it. And I think that's kind of what I was reading there is there's this judging this intention. But there is there is reality to there are people who dress up. There are people who go to church and put on a facade while they're together gathered or around other people that are Christians, not just within the church, maybe when they're around them outside of the church. But then when they're away from them, that's just not who they are. But that goes back to the hypocritical uh, nature, which Christ speaks a lot about hypocrites, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think too, um, the focus is on the Sunday best, but you can also do the same thing on casual, like frown upon people who dress their Sunday best and just think they're being holier than thou and what that is. So it's a two-way street on the dress. Um, obviously, the Lord told us like, um, that all can come. Some people can't afford nicer clothes than others. I do. I think personally, there's in, in a sense, when we come to worship, there should be some sense of honor that goes into it. Like you're mentioning, this isn't just, you know, going to a restaurant, you're coming to worship the Lord, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one who is um, all about, um, you know, you know, for his glory, and there should be like in in some sense something different than the ordinary, something that sets that day apart. Now, what I think, kind of what they said, um, I don't think you should be wearing a three. You don't necessarily have to wear a three a three piece suit. You, but I think the dress does communicate something. And like you said, how you dress to a wedding, like I've seen people come to a wedding in shorts and t-shirts and they look out of place, you know, especially when you have this kind of, everyone else is kind of dressed up. They almost, it's almost seems trite. So I think while the focus should be on the inside that we should be, not hypocritical like we talked about last time. I think there is some thought that needs to be taken into what you wear to church because clothes have what we wear communicates what we think about things. And, and, and in one sense, kind of my general rule is that um, how I think about it is I should just be 
it should be nicer than what I would kind of wear to work on a regular basis, which for some jobs is easy. Um, but there, there should be some sort of niceness to it. Now the idea of your Sunday best, you know, comes from when, you know, kind of being clean and going to church when you didn't always have people to go visit, especially in the Midwest back in the day, you travel long ways to go to church and, and wearing your Sunday best. It was kind of this festival, this excitement that comes with it. And, and see kind of thinking about that importance. I just think it just we used to be more intentional on in what we wear. Um, you know, if, if you feel if God leads you to wear more casual clothes that are modest, then um, for both men and women, then you'll go with what the Lord leads you. But I do think we need to be more intentional about what we wear because our clothing do does kind of tell us what we think about what's going on. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great way to kind of explain that. Uh, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about the fact that Christ clothes us in righteousness, uh-huh. robes of righteousness, right? Um, and so there is this imagery that we see in Scripture. Again, I'm not judging someone that comes in based upon their appearance, but I do think that as you grow in Christ and mature in Christ, there are things that change in your life. Right. And so as you get closer to Christ again, doesn't mean one is more holy than the other because one does wear a three piece suit to church. Um, mm-hmm. Because that person that wears that three piece suit could be a wicked sinner that is not re- unrepentant or not have has not repented of their sins. They're just living an unrepentant life and happen to be one of those tears that are just kind of there out of tradition of they just always went to church. It's one of the things they do. But you also can't say that somebody that's wearing a three-piece suit is doing so basically because they look down on other people. You know, we have a mixture in our church. We have people that sometimes wear shorts and I've seen it in other churches too. Sometimes wear shorts and sandals or whatnot. And then there's people that are wearing suits and when they are talking together, nobody's, it, it never feels like the person that's wearing a suit is looking down or talking down on the person that's wearing shorts that they're talking to in a t-shirt. You know what I mean? Um, it's never that. It, it really comes down to the the heart of the individuals that are there. Uh-huh. And and again, sometimes you're going to have unbelievers there. Sometimes you're going to have immature believers there. And so this is just the, the 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 way in which the church continues to grow and is being sanctified. And not everybody is is spiritually on the same place with their maturity. Some have been Christians for a long time. Some have not. Some may have said they've been a Christian for a long time, but their maturity level has not you know, gone as far as maybe somebody who's a brand new Christian that's been there for two years and just feeding and grabbing everything they can, right? So it, it will vary at times, but again, it comes down to loving the brothers and sisters in Christ and, and, and not judging based upon appearance, but seeking to build everybody up in Christ and in the Word. Yep. All right, so our next point here is um, praying ceremonial instead of kingdom prayers. So it says you can identify a traditional prayer whenever you hear it. That's because many people in the church use the same keywords throughout their prayer. They pray a ceremonial prayer for the people to hear instead of praying a kingdom prayer directly addressed to God. Some prayers are ceremonial and not heartfelt. Uh, ceremonial prayers are not as powerful as kingdom prayers 
They are long and drawn out and often don't help people receive hope from their problem. And like in my notes, I put in here a couple things. I put Matthew six, where it talks about, you know, there are some people who pray to be heard. So uh-huh. that's the point you're making. I agree. There are sometimes people yep. that pray, they use a lot of big words. They use a lot of uh, repetitive words or whatever to be heard rather than they're just praying heartfelt, you know, as they're saying here. But the other part that kind of came to my mind is, again, it comes down to, well, how do you know and are you able to judge an individual's motives? Yeah. Because, um, I mean, that's a really hard thing to do, to judge somebody's motives, the intentions of their heart. Um, And we can get ourselves into a lot of trouble doing that. The other thing I kind of wish right here is that there was maybe a little bit more example in the writing of this part to explain to me a little more the difference between this traditional prayer um, and then the, the kingdom prayer seems like kingdom prayers are their powerful prayers, but these traditional prayers is, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I could have used a little bit more clarity here in this to understand what she's referring to. I know we've done show on prayer before and we talked about uh, when we talked about uh, what was it? Um, disciplines, spiritual disciplines. Yeah. And, Praying the scriptures, that might sound like a traditional prayer to somebody. You're, you're quoting scripture and then praying on it, right? But it doesn't mean it's not heartfelt. So that's, again, where it comes yep. back to trying to understand like, and discern the motives of other individuals. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Part of me wonders if they're thinking about people that just kind of pray. And those like just go on and there's like no directional aspect mm. yeah um, and i can see that and they're just kind of almost kind of in the same way they use many words and they really don't say anything um yeah i with you i'm kind of lost on this distinction um about what are the difference between like a ceremonial and maybe that's just like i know in the presbyterian church i grew up in and i think it's and others too. There's like certain prayers that you say that you recite together. They're kind of written down. I know the Puritans had used written prayers. That's why you have like value vision, um, which if that doesn't draw any emotion and if there's no like heartfelt there, then there's probably something wrong with you. Maybe you check your, your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just like you, I just felt like the, there's not enough distinction there to figure out what, what they're talking about between ceremonial and kingdom prayers. Um, and, um, you know, the often people receive, don't receive help for them when you pray. I mean, is that necessarily the problem with the prayer or is that a problem with the, the one who's hearing the prayer? Like again, is is this is this really issue of one person and not the other? I again, I and maybe just not having that distinction makes it hard. Um, I do think you should think about your prayers, and you should, you know, have a plan of what you're going to do. Though the Lord may may lead you in other ways, um, but. You know, kind of again, some. I think it's that key word that you, yeah, I was going to say it's that key word that you brought up already is being intentional about your prayer. 
yeah. I'm pretty sure we have a show on it somewhere about being intentional of our prayer. That's actually on just, Podbean. Yeah. Where it's not like where you just throw out a bunch of random things. No, you're intentional about what you're praying to the Lord for, who you're praying for, you know, mm-hmm. what it is there that these individuals that you're praying for has need of. Are you praying in accordance with the will of God? You know? Yeah. Um, because there are some people that we've seen where they'll say, well, you got to have here Holy spirit filled prayer and the prayers aren't, there's no substance to it, but they're maybe energetic or they're saying these words and they sound, you know, charismatic. And then they, man, that was a powerful prayer, but it was no substance to it. And it wasn't intentional to praying within the will of God, you know? And so Mm -hmm. Without without more on that one, it's kind of hard because that's I kind of struggled with <clears throat> trying to understand fully uh, what the point was there. Uh, this next point here, teaching religion rather than relationship. Um, it is traditional for church leaders to teach religion rather than encourage a relationship with God and with others. They reduce their teaching down to giving people head knowledge rather than teaching them how to use their hearts to be in community with others. Uh, people believe that all it takes is to attend church periodically. They fail to realize that God wants them to be in a relationship with him and with others in order to break that tradition is to practice what the Bible says. It is uh, to be obedient to God, to be in community with others, to evangelize, to be a good witness and to serve in kingdom in the kingdom of God. I, I find this one to be a little contradictive because you talk about head knowledge rather than, like it's it's a it's head knowledge versus heart knowledge, and but I think all preaching should be explaining, expounding the scripture, and then by way of application, here's how you apply this in your life, right? That's good preaching, right? Here's then how you apply this to your life, and but then it goes on to 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 throw out these. Well, here's what it means to to be biblical or to 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 have this relationship. It's to be obedient to God, right? So you're putting out all these things that we get from the scriptures. So so knowledge impacts the way we live out our faith. It's not void of one or the other. You, ha- you have to have the knowledge of it, and then it's practically lived out, you know? Um, but I want to say this, because this for me is a pet peeve. I don't like the term that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. It's both, okay? We got to uh-huh. stop saying that. We got to stop pitting them against each other, Right. It's both. Yep. Okay. We did a show is, on this. Yes, we did. It is it is a relationship with Christ, and it is also a religion. And I looked at the definition for religion in a newer definitional book, in a new dictionary. I also looked at the old one. If you go to the 1828 Webster's and you look at it, boy, it is thick. It is full of some 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 explanation there, right? And they always quote scripture. Um, uh, but religion's definition. The belief in and worship of a superhuman power or powers, especially a god or gods, uh, our particular system of faith and worship, a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. Now, this is a modern definition, but even within that modern definition, it says things that if you are a Christian, you do, you practice. Um, Mm -hmm. As I said, uh, a particular system of faith and worship. You worship, you have a system of faith, you're practicing religion. Um, a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance is your faith the most important thing to you the, the object of your faith I should say uh, the most important thing to you because the object of your faith should be Christ 
And if it is, you're practicing religion, right? Um, and so you adhere to a set of beliefs and practices. This is what religion is. And so it's not, it's not this one against the other. It's not this in, in James 126. It says that if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his person, his heart is worthless, and this person's religion is, is worthless. But pure religion is what? To take care of widows and orphans, right? So there is a pure religion. And we would say there's only one true religion, and it's biblical Christianity. It's following Christ, of with which you have a relationship. So I had to, I had to get that out of here because that is one of my biggest pet peeves because I feel yeah. like people in their cliches. I was thinking about this. Maybe we should do a show on this sometime. But I was thinking about this. Mm -hmm. The cliches that we hear today of what people say, right, could not stand could not stand next to the quotes from Puritans and their oh, yeah. deep thinking uh -huh. about God, who he is and his word. Yep. Like, like these, they're just little, God hates the sinner or hates the sin, but loves the sinner. These little things wouldn't stand next to the, the, the amount of thought that has gone in through church history, through men who have sought to, to serve and honor and worship the King of Kings. You know what I mean? That's just side note, but uh, I mean, we could probably do let's a show go. on that. Let's go. Let's go to the Puritans because what we see in the Puritans is basically both. Like you need both. You need the head knowledge, the, the Puritans understanding of how, what kind of Christian life, how this works is that you need the head knowledge apply to your heart and it and then you, it extends out your fingers and what you do there is you have to know what you believe it has to change your heart and that change of heart is how you live your life so you need to give people the deep truths of theology to change their hearts so they can be obedient to God. I mean, when we think about what it, you know, kind of in the Proverbs, there is theological understandings that we can pull from Proverbs that affect how we live our lives. Mm -hmm. And that's the point. I think when you, I mean, and part of this, it's not teaching religion rather than relationship. It's not really kind of part of this. It's, you know, are we, are we, is our, are, are we, is our orthopraxy based on our theology or just what we feel is right? Right. Is really what I see here. And our, our theology should always be informing what we do. Knowing that God is truth and God cannot lie. And I'm a, as a Christian, a representation or a represent, I represent God to the fallen world. I therefore should not lie, lest I be like the devil who is the father of lies. All of those, that's theological. That has a very practical aspect of going on. So yes, we should be obedient to God's commands. 
We should be in community because that's how you can be obedient to God's commands. We should be evangelizing. We should be a good witness. We should serve. But mm-hmm. all of that is done under a theological construct mm-hmm. on, and what it means. Because if you don't have the right understanding to be obedient to God, you're not going to be obedient to God. Right. And that matters. And so, yes, we do have a personal relationship with God. There is a relationship there. But this kind of um, religion of relationship, like you said, just needs to go away. It's it's not helpful because in reality, Christianity is both. It is a relation. It is a religion based on a personal relationship with Jesus within the confounds of the community or His seed, which He's redeemed from this earth, and that is how we we are to act yeah yeah that's well said brother well said and i think that um you know uh your wife has spoken so we should probably put that show together we should probably put that on the calendar no that's it it would be a good one to to discuss that because you see some of these bumper sticker cliches t-shirt cliches you know and you try to put them up to the way the Puritans, the way the Reformers, the way you go back to our early church fathers and the way they viewed the theology. It wasn't, it's not this pitting it against, you know, well, I saw a quote the other day. I think I shared it from Keith Giles, our old friend, Keith Giles. Oh, where it says, right. you know, we, yeah. we need more people to not be biblical, but to be Christian, you know, or, mm-hmm. or something along those lines. But you, how do you, how do you follow yeah, Christ? Like, how do you follow Christ apart from the Bible? You can't. Yeah. And so uh-huh. that's why I think <clears throat> that's important. We don't want to separate. We don't want to make it religion versus you know uh, Christianity or relationship. It's not. It's both. Let's let's come to it rightly. Let's build up and understand that better rather than try to divide it and put a, pit them against each other. All right. So our next point here is not following the Great Commission. Uh, it says traditional churches do not follow the great commission that Jesus taught in Matthew 11, 16 through 20. Uh, they stay in their churches where they are comfortable. Uh, they do not leave their favorite seat to go out and evangelize and be a good witness. couple things for me. I, I'm, I just thought my question for the author was, one, how did you come to this conclusion? How do you know that churches aren't evangelizing? How do you know that individuals within the church aren't evangelizing? You know, I mean, what where are you coming up with the statistics that that doesn't that doesn't happen. Um, I know there's Bill Bright and there's certain statistics that only 2% share their faith. But but again, a lot of people, we, I do street preaching. We put videos up sometimes to encourage others. We don't put all our videos up, but we put some things up when we go out. We, we, we put it out there for people to come join us to try to get people to come and, and get out with us. But I also know there's many people that I talk to that don't do that, but they evangelize on a consistent, mm-hmm. regular basis. So my question, first question for you is just like, wh- how do you know this, that, again, traditional churches do not follow the Great Commission? They don't evangelize. They don't witness. And then the second thing is, I have to ask, are you misciting something? Because in Matthew 11, 16 through 20, I mean, I don't know if you're, 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 you're trying to go to Matthew 28, 16 through 20, because, um, I mean— if you're trying to pull from there the this great commission, that's not what's there. Um, so I think it might be a a misquote of scripture, a miscite. Yeah. The link goes to 
Matthew 28. So, okay. yeah, I would assume it's a... Okay, uh, so so I printed it out. So that's my fault on that one, because I printed it out, and, and that's what's in the thing. But the link goes there, so that's good. So it is Matthew 28, because I was like, okay, the one place where you cite Scripture, it's not what you want to be citing. But again, even in that, uh, again, my question then would be, how did you come to this conclusion? And uh, that's what I would want to know to kind of understand what you mean by not evangelizing. So I think I kind of took a diff different take, a take and thinking about Christianity at large and probably assume that most people don't um, evangelize. They're not out there doing it. Um, you know, what's the real statistic? You know, it's probably not easy to be known not even even with the best statistical models out there um and if that's the case that is that is toxic problem and it needs to be addressed and it needs to be destroyed because they're not being obedient to god's commands um if that's if that's the case and so i think it just and maybe for us who are, are listening to the show are we of being faithful in in doing evangelism and to think about maybe ways to evangelize those in our sphere of influence and those that we're able to to see and i think that's a valid a valid critique um kind of within um christianum i mean you hear it i know you've heard it ricky we've talked about on the show but that you know the line i'm not called to be an evangelist Maybe put that one on on the truism mm -hmm. show, um, which we have addressed and, and is clearly not a biblical understanding of what we're called to do. And so, yeah, I think, you know, out of all of them, this is probably the one I agree most with. But then I think it's also broad brushing um, churches who do focus on evangelism, who do um encourage people to leave their favorite seat, quote unquote, and yeah. to go out. Um, I mean, in my church, we don't have like a formal evangelism uh, opportunity per se, but our Sunday school, our Sunday school teacher has been kind of, you know, asking prayers like who who's talked to someone who's an unbeliever, who's evangelized someone. And can we pray with them kind of reinforcing this idea mm -hmm. of that, you know, we, we are to evangelize those around us and to have those conversations. And it's not always as formal as going to the parade, the pride parade, um, which is a good thing. And this is not me talking down to it, but just, you know, talking to your neighbor, your unbelieving mm -hmm. neighbor, your unbelieving family member, and it's being diligent and those types of um, conversations and, and, being obedient to proclaiming Christ. Yeah. No, and, and I don't, don't get me wrong. I, I do believe that there is not as many people evangelizing that are Christians that should, should be evangelizing. Again, that doesn't mean street preaching and whatnot. My question is, how does this individual know? Because I don't feel like yeah. there's, I don't feel like in each one of these points, there's enough information. Because when you say yeah. traditional churches do not follow the Great Commission, what goes to my mind, I think of independent, fundamental, traditional Baptist churches. That's what I think of that. And I know they are knocking on doors doing, you know, going through their neighborhood. Yeah. 
And, and I know that there are many of them who are out on the streets who, who go out. Um, and then even when you think of traditional, you could think of maybe, are you referring to maybe Roman Catholics, which we would say is not a biblical Christian church. Uh, are you talking about liberal Presbyterian churches? Yeah. Like liberal the, Presbyterian the churches, liberal mainline churches would be more like traditional. Again, I think, you know, the vagueness of what's tradition, right? What's traditional, you know, obviously we kind of started that with the beginning of the show. Um, and, and there's some other things like what exactly do you mean? Is there a lot of evangelism happening at the the Presbyterian church I grew up in? Yeah, probably not, but that's probably a good thing. Yeah. You know? And so like, yeah, that's again. Yeah. What did, what do you mean by kind of tradition? Um, especially because Baptists tend to have, you know, a tradition of evangelizing. Yeah. You know, whether it's through VBS or, you know, revivals or even, you know, standing on the street corner or knocking on doors, like that's kind of within the tradition. The Baptists are the ones who kind of start the modern missionary movement and to think about it in that way. So, yeah, then it just comes down to what what is traditional? What are you meaning? Because there is, or is it traditional in that you're progressive and it's not the way you should, right. and it's not kind of in line of, of social justice. Obviously we don't know the author. So this is just kind of what if idea, but you know, that's again, context matters. And probably if right. we probably read her material more, um, we would have a better understanding. Get a better, also, yeah, though. get a perspective. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't want to be so uncharitable. Um, I, I have, as far as takeaways, I've got three takeaways that are negative, three takeaways that are positive. I mean, there's more things I could have put in here, but I just was kind of keeping it short. But, you know, there are some things you can look at and say, okay, there are areas where we can improve as Christians and as a church. Uh, but are some of these toxic? I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think that it's a wrong understanding. And in some of them, we don't just don't have enough information in what she's written here. Um, and there's no, again, very little biblical support in any of these. We've tried to bring um, scriptures to this, like even in this Great Commission, Matthew 28 does tell us to go into the world and make disciples, you know. Um, and so we're trying to utilize scripture here. Let's go into this last one and then we'll get into our takeaways and we'll wrap it up because we are definitely over. Um, so favor old ways. It says favor old ways here. Every tradition has a favorite jargon that says we have always done it that way. When people want to keep old traditions and old sayings, then the church is in trouble. Change is all around us and the church should keep us keep up with those changes. Unfortunately, most church leaders fail to be critical, to be creative and think outside of the box to come up with new ways to get positive results. They would rather keep on doing what they have always done. That's traditional. And like the religious leaders that Jesus taught, many churches, church today, many church leaders today might be well-meaning and well-intentioned. Excuse me. I'm sorry. However, they cling to many traditions that have become toxic to the church's health and the effectiveness. Like Jesus, church leaders should be in relationship with God, and that will prevent toxic traditions to dominate the church and make it sick. 
They said symptoms of sick church, of a sick church. When a person has symptoms of being sick, he goes to the doctor. When the church is sick, usually nothing is done about it. Uh, some members endure the pains, ailments, discomfort, and disease. Others leave and go to a healthy church. Again, I want to say, like every single, well, not every single point, many of the points, I would have liked the author, author to give me some examples of what is meant by some of these favor, these old ways. What do you mean by these old ways? Because again, as we've talked about when we first started this out, not every tradition is bad. If we, we talked about Baptist churches going door to door to knock on doors to, to go through their community, to let people know that they're there and to share the gospel. Is that a bad thing? If that's their tradition? No, they're getting out there. Um, it might not be somebody's preference of evangelism, but is it a bad tradition to, to have? Is it a bad tradition for Baptists to have visitations when somebody comes and visits their church and they set up a time where they can come and meet with them and visit them at their home? No, it's a tradition, but is it, is it a bad one? Um, so what is meant by favoring these old ways? Again, I think we also, when we look at this, we have to consider pragmatism. Are we trying new ways to reach people and do things differently? Because times change, cultures change. So therefore, we need to change and adapt to the times. Um, based on what? I mean, if if you're Reformed, you know there's this thing called the reg regulative principle of worship. So we don't change our worship styles based upon the way the cultures and stuff change. Um, and so uh, those things can come into to play as well. And um but again, we always want to evaluate things based upon the scriptures and based upon are these traditions or these old ways, are they things we can do without? Or are they things that are beneficial to the body and as a, as a church? Because again, we got to consider as Baptists, we believe in the autonomy of local churches. So for one local church in one area, they may do a practice that is a tradition for them that brings and reaches people or is effective in their area, but in another area, it might not be effective at all. So again, I mean, that's just, again, for me, I wish we had a few more examples or some examples of what does she mean by old ways? Yeah. I think too, to think about it, if they're using, we have always done it, done it that way. Obviously there is traditions to be thought about and whether they are helpful for the goal of the church. Now there are non non-negotiable traditions of a church service. That is the hearing of the word, the preaching of the word, the singing of the word and the praying of the word. You cannot have a church and then the, and also the right administration of the sacraments, um, i.e. baptize professing believers. Um, and so when we, we think about that, that's, that's a tradition and it's to be done in a way, um, that's what's required to be a church service. And so there's, there's one, so in that aspect, we can't just get rid of that tradition and rethink about it. We have freedom within those to do what we need to do um, and to consider, but those are required. Um, some of the other programs that happen in support of the worship service, mm -hmm. you can think of Awana, youth groups, Sunday schools, um, 
we should evaluate whether those for the church at the time is feasible, is right, is doing what they are intended to do. And, you know, maybe a church has always held VBS, but there's not enough people to run a VBS. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, we've always done it that way. We've always done a VBS. Maybe you should consider whether that's a good use of the money. If it's in one sense, not helping your church get its name out there and to as as a form of evangelism mm-hmm. i think vbs is a good form of evangelism to bring people in and to teach the gospel um but there are traditions that we need to think about are they serving the purpose of what christ has called the church to do do church leaders need to be creative to get people to come i don't think so a yeah. lesser known R.C. Sproul quote is talking about how churches today, and especially you think your your mega churches or churches who want to be like the mega churches, get third rate musicians for a third rate band and singing third rate songs. Like they're just not the best songs ever. And they're trying to um please the world why would the world want to go to something on sunday that's not that great when they experience something so much better saturday night with the professional musicians or just even better musicians they don't have to be professional and that's you know if we if we cater to the world that way we're never gonna win we're Mm -hmm. just we're a knockoff Right. And what we see in kind of modern, like thinking about church growth, is that it's the churches that have the more plain service the preaching of the word, the reading of the word, praying the word, singing the word, and the right administration of the sacraments. A, a very simple service is what attracts because it's so different. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to please and be the best and it's it's intending to do what it's supposed to do and to preach the word and so we can try to get rid of that but in way in one way that makes us different and distinctive and that now raises eyebrows it changes it becomes intriguing and to to think about what that how that works and what that means. If we're constantly catering to what the culture wants, we're going to lose the message. Yes, we live in a culture, but in some sense, being different from the culture around us brings an intrigue and a uniqueness that allows us to do the Great Commission, allows us to teach, to tell people about the gospel. It is something different. Is it the most exciting thing? Not always, but we're here to hear God and he's Mm -hmm. the most exciting thing. And we're here to be, you know, you come to church to be touched by the spirit, to learn about God, to live in God's world and to worship the one who created it all. And that brings 
different set of emotions and changes the people and how they act. And that's what is what's needed is something yeah. different. And in one sense, that's thinking outside the box because everyone is trying to capture mm -hmm. what the culture has. And it is those who stick to the basic necessities of the church that are really seeing the growth, especially when they're teaching biblical doctrines, they're teaching the mm -hmm. truth because people are leaving these churches because they're not feeding, they're not getting the truth. Right. And, and 2020 was a great example. There were many churches that were shut down because of uh, the pandemic. And there were people who genuinely wanted to be gathered together with the saints and uh, sit under the preaching of the word of God. And so they mm -hmm. found themselves going to more biblical churches that were open and sitting under sound teaching week after week and began to grow deeper in their understanding of God's word more so than they did in the two, three years, four years that they were sitting in one of those seeker sensitive model type churches, right? Huh. Because it is Christ that is attractive to the believer. It's not the programs. It's not the music and the worship bands. It's Christ. It's his word that compels us and draws us unto himself. And so when that is the focus you don't have to go outside of the box to try to create all these things. Yes, VBS, that's a man-made uh, thing that people do, and they use it as an outreach, and you can use it, um, or you can choose not to use it. But you don't have to try to do all of these things to change with the times. Well, let's get rid of the pulpit, and let's just put a stool there. Let's make it a little more, you know... Um, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. Let's make it, let's call it a, a stage or a platform, you know, a stage rather than this, the pulpit, you know, however you, you want to go about doing these things to make it more friendly or seeker sensitive. If you preach Christ in those churches and you only give them Christ, a lot of those people are going to leave. And so we've heard this cliche many times before that you keep them with what you want win them with so uh -huh. the only way to keep these individuals is to keep giving them what it is that you brought them in with to begin with if you was to take all that stuff out and just give them christ give them christ give them christ the unbelievers are going to leave because as i mentioned already once in this program unbelievers shouldn't feel comfortable week after week sitting under the preaching of god's word because it's convicting it's there to to encourage to challenge, to rebuke, to reprove. And so there's no way you're going to be able to sit comfortably under God's word. But for the believer, that's all we need. That's all we need is Christ. Give me Christ. Give me his word. Preach Christ to me. Right? Explain his word to me so that I might go out there and live and fight this spiritual battle that I'm engaged with every single day having his word hidden in my heart so that I might overcome the sins that the flesh that remains, that I might overcome it, that I might not give into the temptations of the devil, that I might grow and be strengthened in Christ. That's what we need. You don't need all the other stuff. Yeah. 
And so that's kind of where we are with, with this article. Again, I think a lot of it would have been helpful if there was more. Uh, so let me just get into it and takeaways. So here's my negatives. I got three negatives here for me. Not a lot of scripture used by the author, which I've mentioned already. My criticism or, or my, a negative is there's criticism without many examples and real solution given in this article. Because if you want to mm -hmm. criticize, that's one thing because we can criticize, but we want to, what, what is the solutions to these criti criticizing, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that's, I think would have been helpful in this article. Um, and it also, I think would have gave us a little more clarity in what's, what's being said. Um, and then another negative is uh, this came across to me more as personal preferences of the author. Again, because there wasn't a lot of scripture references. There's not many examples that I can see. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. That's, that makes, that makes a point. I, mm -hmm. I can understand now. So my positives, we should evaluate traditions. We should evaluate them. Um, another positive, we should evaluate our hearts because many of these things was dealing with the individual's heart and their motivations. Mm -hmm. So we should, we should evaluate our hearts, not the hearts of other individuals, but we should evaluate our hearts as Christians. And then my, my, my positive is this call to evangelize, you know, uh, that as Christians, we should be desiring to see other people come to know Jesus Christ because the love of Christ should be compelling us. That doesn't mean, again, as we do street preaching, doesn't mean that everybody's going to go be a street preacher. It doesn't mean everybody's going to go to a college campus and hand out tracts. But you have a sphere of influence, people you work with, people in your family. That's your first sphere of influence, your family, right? So uh -huh. be the example of Christ-like behavior to your family. Teach your family the Word of God. Um, and then the sphere continues to go out. So uh, that's a call to evangelize. And that is a positive thing I think we could take away from that. Mike, any uh, takeaways you have? Yeah, I think kind of the big takeaway that I have is that we shouldn't confuse people's motives um, as, as toxic issues in the church. And we saw that really early, early on in it. It was these people, the motives of these people seem to drive what she thought was toxic with the church. And that shouldn't be the case. Their motives are their motives. And are those motives active reflective of the toxicness of the church or not? Are there toxic churches? Yes. Maybe people don't want to go to it. Yes. I mean, Mormonism, for an example, I think fits that bill. Um, especially those who are about to come out and the influence that uh, Mormon teaching has and the guilt for leaving. Um, I think also, too, that we should distinguish between biblical traditions that must be upkept and the man-made traditions that we use to support the mission of the traditions from God. Mm -hmm. And, and just, yeah, like you said, evaluate them in search a way. Yeah. I think that's on my end. Oh, okay. I was like, did my door open? <laughs> so, yeah. And so, um, I know we went a little long tonight. We're going to wrap it up now, but I want to thank you for, for sticking with us. 
Um, and next week, as we mentioned in the beginning, we're going to be talking about uh, boycotts and what it should look or what it might look like for Christians to boycott or not boycott. Uh, we're going to talk about that next week, and then we'll get into some of our Proverbs series as well. And maybe we'll put on a schedule there and to talk about some Christian truisms uh, uh, next to some of these Christian cliches that we hear all the time. Um, maybe we'll get something on, on the schedule for next month for that. But uh, until then, that's been G220 Radio. We want to thank you for tuning into the program tonight. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at g220radio at gmail.com. If you have su show suggestions, something you would like to hear us cover on the program, again, you can do that at g220radio.com. And we know that we do need to update um, our podcast um, because I did not realize we were that far back and we are like six months into the new year. And so if we're that far back, we, we need to catch up. And so I apologize for that. Uh, we will do our best to kind of get that moving along. But until next week, that's been G220 Radio. God bless and good night.